0: hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to the passing shot the tennis podcast by fans i'm joel i'm kim and today we are rounding up all the actions so far from round one at the us open please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen thank you Well, we are into day two at the US Open in Flushing Meadows. It's the first Grand Slam since lockdown. Kim, I can't actually believe we're here. We're seeing lots of, lots of live tennis, a Grand Slam we didn't think was probably going to happen like a few months ago. Lots of players deciding whether they were going to play, but hey, we're here and it's been, it's certainly delivered so far. We've got so many talking points and, you know, even though not everyone, uh, is playing it, We have got a lot of food for thought to cover, um, based on some of the major events that have basically happened over the last over the last few days or so.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot going on, and um, it does feel a bit strange. You know, there's no fans on the court. You know, watching it does lack the atmosphere that we 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 come to know and love from Grand Slam. So it's a bit weird watching it um, on the TV, but you know some tennis is better than no tennis and I'm so glad that we we have the slam happening because yeah it did seem a bit touch and go for a long time um so we have to be thankful for that Uh, but yeah before we even get on to the actual tennis Joel we really need to uh, like talk about what happened kind of the weekend before um you know it all kicked off because I think this all kind of happened after we did our last kind of podcast and uh yeah, a lot's been going on. Uh, player testing positive for COVID and, I don't know, structural reform within the uh, the tennis world has, has been happening. So I don't know where to start, really, Joel.
0: <laughs> I mean, let's start with Novak Djokovic and this uh, new body that he has set up, the Plus, pers- sorry, the um, this new PTPA, um, this new association that feels to me like almost like at odds with the the ATP. I mean, it came out before, um, you know, the start of the US Open. For me, it almost kind of came out of nowhere. I know we've kind of heard sort of grumblings from Djokovic over the last few years about this, you know, the fact that he wanted to bring more, uh, you know, control and more power to the players. But I really wasn't expecting this, um, you know. Uh, almost kind of like what feels like a breakaway group of about kind of what sounds about sixty or seventy odd players, um, you know, kind of bandying together and um, you know, and kind of kind of set, you know, creating their their own group and um you know, I think, I don't know if Djokovic was kind of like, felt like this was the, you know, obviously he must've felt this is the best moment, um, you know, to kind of raise this, you know, maybe he thinks, you know, we're in this sort of brave new world. So now is a very kind of fertile time for change. And maybe that's one of the reasons he's kind of, you know, instigated it, you know, this week where, you know, potentially, you know, all, you know everything kind of seems new. He's kind of you know, put this in motion and, um you know, it, it's really interesting because it feels like the battle lines are being drawn in terms of, you know, where do you sit on the, you know, the, you know, the governing bodies front? Are you kind of in with this new PTPA fronted by, you know, Djokovic, uh, you know, John Isner and, you know, Vashet Pospisil, you know, players who have been on, you know, the ATP player council, who have kind of resigned from their roles and kind of going with this approach, or are you going to be you know, more conservative and be like a, a Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer who actually are calling for more sort of calm and, you know, the fact that there is all this uncertainty at the moment on, you know, there's, that's not the ground for this sort of, as you said, this potentially seismic change in the in the tennis universe.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I feel like, is it the best time? I feel like, is he going for the shock factor by, you know, unveiling this, this thing right now, like on the eve of a Grand Slam, during a time when we're like living in a pandemic and everything is, you know, new and different. Like, is it the right time? I, I'm not so sure. And and that's what, you know, Rafa and, and Roger basically have come out sort of said like, you know, there's a time and a place for this and this isn't the time. And, you know, it's not to say that the PTPA, um it's a bit of a mouthful that isn't it? PTPA. There's a lot of peas flying around. Um it's not to say that the aims of that organization aren't going to be you know, positive for the sport, you know, because some of the things that they're kind of fighting for is, is for the players to have more of a say and for it not to be kind of led by like the tournaments and for the players to actually get more of the revenue generated by, you know, by tournaments. Um, so it's not to say that their aims aren't, you know, honourable, but it's just... Is it the right way of going about it? I, th- I think, you know, they've probably jumped on the fact that, yeah, Roger and Rafa aren't actually here. Um, and some of the top ATP kind of execs aren't also present. And it's kind of, I guess it's the first opportunity, actually, that a lot of the players have been in the same, you know, vicinity for a long time. And and yeah, maybe they just thought, well, we might as well just go full steam ahead while everything's sort of upside down in the world and, and do it now um but one massive thing Joel there's no women involved and i think that's probably caused the most consternation amongst kind of the tennis fans and tennis media in response to this announcement what do you make of what do you make of that because i know possible has come out subsequently saying oh you know we do plan to include them but for me you know is it not a bit of a you know own goal that they didn't start out with that <laughs> with, with including them from the start
0: yeah, I think yeah, I think Andy Murray was the biggest sort of kind of I think critic or, or you know with this point of view on you know he wasn't kind of for the PTPA in its current uh, genesis because you know it, it felt like a male only venture and you know we've we've you know the this sport needs to have sort of more equality for you know the men and women therefore the players union should be representative um, of both and so. It feels like you know maybe yeah they they've almost kind of birthed the PTPA prematurely, and it would have made more sense uh, to to do it at a time when um, you know when they and they had kind of uh, women's play, women players on board. I expect that probably will happen at some point in the future, and again, it will be interesting to see you know of. Um, you know, from the, the, the women's rankings, who, you know, who, which players kind of step up and kind of, you know, take that lead and, and who kind of, again, who kind of stays, you know, stays put. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, Djokovic, I think was coming out and saying, look, we're not trying to create a boycott. We're not trying to create a sort of, you know, rebellious nature, rebellious tour. It, this is more about you know getting kind of more control and kind of bringing back the control um to the players and I guess less so to the the organizers and we know I think you know in the tour that's a constant sort of conversation and almost a mediation that always needs to be had i think between tournament organizers and and the players and it's a very you know it's a very delicate um you know balance to have as you know I guess someone like chris commode would uh you know would you know would agree with having kind of Done that, what kind of seemed to be quite effectively, um, but you know, being almost kind of outed uh, by um, you know players like you know Novak Djokovic. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it, it, it's certainly something that is is new. It's interesting. It could lead to big structural changes in the, in the tennis world further down the line. And again, this could just be the start. And uh, yeah, I do wonder the fact that Novak Djokovic is here. Rafael Nadal isn't Roger Federer isn't whether Djokovic is using the sort of all eyeball all eyeballs on me at this tournament as the clear favorite as the you know as the perfect moment to to open up this conversation.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it will impact his you know performance at all on court if all this kind of speculation surrounding him you know will it have have an impact is it going to distract him from from his on court activities. I mean we mm. haven't really seen that evidence kind of <laughs> materialize i think he's such a mentally strong character i i don't think we'll see that but um yeah it's it's i think it's going to take a long time before any real change occurs but you know it does have to start somewhere and i suppose you know there's a that staying saying isn't it it's like you are never really ready so you kind of just have to go and do it anyway so maybe he's kind of yeah. channeling that logic um with the decision I, to kind of go for also, it now. i think also
0: and i'm just kind of thinking about this particular moment i think it's also interesting probably to say that you know, the fact that there are no, uh, you know, there are no fans, there are no crowds. You know, it does feel like at the moment the tour, you know, is set up just, you know, for the sole purpose of the players. You know, we saw that with the, you know, the US Open site. It's just like almost kind of like players and their entourage only. They bought a hotel just for the players. So it feels like, you know, very much, you know, at the moment it is very much honed in on, you know satisfying the players and ensuring that they can you know get on and and, and play with you know and, and kind of play tennis and and get on with their kind of careers so i wonder again whether the fact that the fact that there are no fans there has meant that the focus on the players again in Djokovic's eyes might have made this a better time um a better time to to announce it than say you know in in the future when things might gets might start getting busy and and kicking off again
1: yeah, and just one last thing on this, Joel. I think also, I don't know how happy, you know, Djokovic was about the decision last week when it was the Western Southern Open, you know, t- to pause play. Um, some of the players kind of came out and said, you know, they weren't consulted. The tournament organisers just went ahead and did it. So I guess maybe that was, I'm not saying that was the main reason, but maybe that was just another added factor um, where they just feel like they want, you know, more players say in every kind of every decision that's kind of going on. And maybe that was just one example of, of such, um, such decision-making, but, I mean the players are not so happy well, some of the players are not so happy with other decisions that have been going on lately, and that's surrounding Benoit Paire and his positive test for covid nineteen um you know he's been forced to withdraw from the tournament and you know rightly so after a positive test but the issue has been with the players that he's come into close contact with over the last you know week in new York um what to do with them should they stay in the draw should they be forced to you know withdraw and, and quarantine in their rooms um i think the usda basically did contact tracing found that there was 11 players uh so-called the pair 11 uh which sounds a bit like they've Love committed that. some horrible crime <laughs> isn't it <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, I, that's, that's going to be a pup quiz answer in the future isn't it maybe it's, it's going to be it's going to be a question on our on our end of se- end of uh, end of season quiz isn't it who are the who are, uh, the, who are, who the, are pair the pair 11? yeah we know,
1: all. i don't know who they all we know are one of them.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we've seen
1: him. One of them is, and I think who's come out and
0: said, yeah, and Mladenovic has come out and kind of effectively said the result of this is that now she she's almost like living in a bubble within the bubble, and she had a first round match and came through it, and you know she was really kind of emotional at the at the end. She was really kind of, I think she was screaming and being like. This was a real that was a real test and a battle for her because it sounds like this the pair eleven, whoever they are, they're they're even more on lockdown. It almost kind of feels like they're in solitary confinement and they're they're effectively playing their match, getting off court, going back within the bubble, within a bubble until the next round.
1: Exactly. Um they're having to use like the the back stairs of, of of the hotel. They can't use the elevators. They they have to just have food like brought up to their rooms or um you know, you know they can go and practice um but they have to literally have like masks on everywhere they are. It's just very very um so much more restrictive and you know, it doesn't it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't sound at all fun, but it it is necessary and you know, some players were saying, well, perhaps they should have been forced to Withdraw entirely, because if you look at what the decisions are surrounding last week with with Guido Pella um and Hugo Delian, like Paya's uh, fitness trainer tested positive, but Pella and Delian, who were you know training with with him and in close contact, they had to withdraw. So even though that they themselves had tested negative. So you know people were saying it's it's not very consistent with the decision from last week um i suppose you know this is a grand slam it's not a master series like there's 11 players involved other than just two uh so it's it's a bit of a different scale isn't it it would kind of make the draw quite a bit different if you suddenly evict 11 players um but i mean god forbid what if there is you know what if mladenovic goes and tests positive tomorrow and then it's kind of like there's going to be a lot of controversy should one of those 11 players um, test positive. It can take a while for a positive test to to kind of come through, can't it? So,
0: mm. yeah. We'll I, mean, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, we will have to wait on this one. Yeah, we will. All I will say is, I think what it has shown is that the the bubble and the system that they've got at, in place works. I think that's the only. I think that's the only thing you can say about it. And it's. I think it's. I think it's great that the system in place has sh- been able to. Um, you know, to get a positive test or be able to kind of surface that, and then be able to kind of find, you know, the players you've been in, um, you know, in um, in contact with with Benoit Pair. So, you know, let's see, let's see how this develops. I'm sure we haven't heard the the, the last on it, but let's kind of talk about all the actions so far um, on day one and day two, which is going on at the moment. Uh, we're on, of course, we're on uh, UK time. So let's start with. Day one and probably the biggest kind of talking point uh not only for British fans, but you know, for the tournament in general, was probably the the upset the upset of the day with um Diego schwartzman uh losing to Britain's Cam Norrie um in over four hours. The Schwartzman was two sets up, seemed like he was coasting, six three, six four. but there yeah, Norrie just found uh he just found a way and um, he I think he battled back from uh, breakdown uh, Three times over in in the fifth set, he was two match points down, I think, as well, um, at, at one point. So, I mean, he, yeah, Cameron Norrie, what a great, what a great result! That's probably probably the win of his his career because uh, you know I think before this, his best, his highest ranked player that he had defeated was I think around kind of 41, 42. But now with a a scalp like Schwartzman under his belt, I mean, that's going to give him that's going to give him a lot of belief, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's got to be one of the best matches of his his career. I mean, when he was two sets down, I thought, oh, you know, par for the course, you know, he's playing the ninth seed. Let it go, you know. Uh, so, yeah, what a turnaround. And I mean, it was a bit of a break fest. I think there were about 19 breaks <laughs> to serve. Uh, there were 58, 58 break points. Yeah, I think that's which like the most. It was a record. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Um, especially in that last set, it was, you know, basically whoever's going to hold serve um, was going to win it. And, yeah, saving the match points, coming through, you know, I mean, a lot you know, all credit to Cam, but you know, a lot of the um, reason for the turnaround was Schwartzman was kind of in a bit of a foul mood. He was getting very worked up, uh, very upset. And then towards the end, he he had treatment for sort of cramp. I think it was, it seemed like it was in his hand or something. So I think there was some physical issues going on as well. And I think he really um, didn't like the fact there was no crowd there. I think, you know, it's really not going to Go down well with with some players, and you know other players will really like will like that aspect.
0: Yeah, and I, I think actually, fundamentally, Norrie just broke Diego Schwartzman. He he asked the question how how far are you willing to go, and he he broke him literally, physically in that in that fifth set. And um, you touched on the fact that I think I agree with you. I think Schwartzman for me didn't like the fact that there was no crowd there. And I think also what added to that was, you know, I saw kind of on the on the TV like Jamie Murray and, and Dom Inglot cheering for for Norrie as well. And, you know, I think, you know, we've got to remember there are no fans there, but there are players there. And, you know, I think events like Battle of the Bridge kind of show have shown us like, you know, other players are willing to get uh you know behind other players, like uh, you know, a, a typical fan would. And um, you know, that it was interesting because I think that got under you know, Schwartzman's skin. And it almost added like a little mini Davis Cup kind of vibe to, you know, to the event. And I do wonder if that might play into the hands of, you know, American players or, um, you know, or whoever who maybe have kind of other uh, players from their nationality in the bubble at the event who might actually go on and support them because they you know, might not have anything else better to do.
1: Yeah, I don't know how, what the done thing is with that. You know, if, if you are allowed to kind of, go out and just kind of... I mean, I guess it, players who've got their sort of suites can watch, can't they, on the, on the main core and Arthur Ashe. But I don't know how sort of... How how allowed it is to go and to go and watch and, and do do that, but um, I mean certainly it would it would sort of sound quite odd, wouldn't it? Because it would just be silence, so <laughs> you know court noises and then just a couple of people sort of cheering. Um, I always feel very self conscious if I'm cheering on on like a really quiet court, and then you know there's like one fan <laughs> there and you're cheering and it's like oh all eyes on you. Um, but yeah, I mean it was amazing when Venori and I he's playing. Another Argentinian, I think uh, Federico Correa in the next round. So certainly seems winnable to me. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I wasn't expecting that result. So definitely made uh, day one of the U.S. Open for British fans, especially. And then Carl Edmund also came through against Alex Bublik um, in four sets. That was that was a tough, a tough, uh, tough match. Apart from well, the fourth set, you know, Carl bageled um public so he ran away with it but public was very very strong on serve in the first um two sets and it was very very tough to crack and um you know it was a bit of a late one so not gonna lie I did have a little snooze uh after the second set finished <laughs> but I was kind of just like I'm just gonna let Kyle get on with it and and hope that hope that the result goes our way but um yeah really glad that he came through that one bit annoying he's playing Djokovic next because I don't see yeah, him because he looked really good in on him
0: he had a bit of a wobble in his second set but I mean he came through in three sets and I think in his post-match press conference as well he said you know his undefeated streak which I think now is at 24 and 0 that it, that is almost kind of adding extra extra fuel to his, mm, his bodies yeah. and um and, uh, you know, it's easy to see why. So, uh, you know, I think it was an easy stroll for Djokovic. Um, Sisypas as well, I think, you know, it was very kind of, very kind of comfortable for him. Played, uh, you know, a Ram- um, Albert Ramos Vinolas. Um, and, uh, yeah, beat him 6-2, 6-1, 6-1, So that was very easy. Sissipas, again, I think, is one of the informed players going into one. It looked very good in, in Cincinnati. Uh, a player we thought was potentially going to go out in the first round, though, Kim, uh, Alex Verev. Came through very well, I think, against Kevin Anderson, particularly after losing, uh, lost the first set. Uh, but we managed to kind of hold it together and, uh, you know, right, right that ship. And um, yeah, he's he is also through. So yeah, Zverev and Sissipas both through. And uh, Zverev, yeah, able to... I mean, I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm saying this kind of like, almost kind of in surprise, but um, yeah, he was able to kind of get the job done against uh, Kevin Anderson. who's obviously a Grand Slam fighter. So he must have been, he must have been playing well. I will say though, I did get a WhatsApp from one of my tennis friends who messaged me he watched the opening, he watched the opening start of the Zverev match. He said three double faults in his first two service games. <laughs> and he was like, Oh God, is where's this going? But, um, yeah, it sounded like, sounded like Zverev had a, a good, a good day at the office yesterday.
1: He did enough to get through I suppose. And, um, I think it was the second set that Anderson won actually, but. But yeah, regardless, um, that could have been a bit of a dodgy one. So, uh, he came through. I loved Kevin Anderson's little towel that he tucked into his shorts. Um, because with the towels, we have seen a few players, um, forgetting that they need to go and pick it up themselves and they sort of stroll back to their chair and then they're like, oh. Damn, where's my towel? And they have to go all the way back to pick it up. Um, So it's about adapting to the new normal, I suppose. Uh, So yeah, a little towel tucked into your shorts. That uh, might help rather a lot with that. Um, But yeah, we also had John Isner, who um, you know could potentially have have gone deep in this tournament. Uh, He's gone out in the first round to Steve Johnson, so fellow American. Um, Apparently, Steve Johnson, you were saying, Joel, before we started recording, he's beaten Isner five times. So it's not actually so much of a surprise when you look at the kind of stats and the head to head.
0: I mean, I think they're best friends off court and I don't know what it is, but about John Isner's game, but yeah, Stevie, CVJ J just absolutely loves playing it because he's won the last five in a row, um, won the final set tiebreak in the fifth set and yeah, knocked out John Isner, which I was not, you know, was not expecting to happen. You know, John Isner normally performs quite well, um, you know, on a US Open hard court and I was fully expecting him to, get to that fourth round I think and he was potentially could have faced Djokovic but yeah not to be Stevie Stevie J coming through and another american who again completely off my radar probably on, on, off a lot of people's radar uh Jack Sock who um came through and beat um former top 20 player Pablo Cuevas um in five sets again in a in another final set tiebreak but um you know Jack Sock is one of those players who's he's he's had his critics since his You know, that stunning sort of end of the that stunning um, season he had towards the end of the year when he won the, you know, the Paris Masters and I think got to the World Tour Finals final, you know, when he was like a top 10 player. Um, But yeah, he's showing some showing some form. I don't know if he's going to be able to kind of keep that, but um, I think it showed me he 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 did put some work in over kind of lockdown. I think particularly with his backhand, it looked um, it looked very on song yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's great to see. It's great to see Jack Sock sort of fighting back, fighting to get back, I think, where he probably feels he belongs, because at the moment, I think he's still kind of ranked outside the top 300. But, you know, defeating a you know former top 20 player like Cuevas, that will that will do him the world of good.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an old-school match, that one, isn't it? Two sort of well-known names within tennis. But um, yes, we will be interesting to see if this is the start of of something. Uh, Perhaps not, but perhaps it is. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Um, But let's move over to the women's side from yesterday, Joel. I I guess the main kind of standout match um, was probably, you know, well, either the Goff match uh, or Naomi Osaka in the evening, because other than that, the women's draw was fairly straightforward. We had pretty comfortable wins for, you know, some of the like Plishkova came through in straight sets, Kvitova, you know, Kerber, Druseva, Elise Mertens today. They, they've all kind of gone through quite comfortably. Uh, so, really, all eyes were on the Coco Goff against uh, Anastasia Sevastova who a lot of people don't really know much about, you know, myself included. Uh, But Sebastian was actually a former semi-finalist at the US Open. So two years ago, she reached the semis. She's reached the courts on other occasions as well. So this is her kind of favourite tournament. You know, she seems to love the courts here. And um, it was a bit of a... A dodgy match. I wouldn't say we saw the best tennis in the world. Uh, You know, (laughs) both players were very up and down. I mean, Coco Goff, her serve was, you know, 13 double faults. Not great. Um, You know, she was, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like what we saw from her was a bit, I, I just worry, is she going backwards? Is she regressing slightly? Or was it just the fact that when she first burst onto the scene and, you know, her first kind of few slam performances, she just kind of, went above and beyond expectations and actually this is way more appropriate for kind of a 16 year old well, and where she should be on the tour
0: yeah I think I think it'd be a bit hotter, actually Kim I think you know <laughs> uh, her you know, I think her opponent uh Sevastova, you know, I think she's obviously know, she's like a US Open specialist and she's gonna have she's had a lot more experience um you know over her career and I think Goff is just you know she's still kind of accruing all those different experiences you have on a tennis court and um you know uh, you know losing is as part losing is part, as much part of an experience as as winning and um you know i don't think it was uh you know it wasn't a particularly great performance from golf think she served 13 double faults in in the match but um you know i think it was she came up against a you know a very kind of well well seasoned player i know kind of Svastavoni had won kind of two matches this year but the fact that she beat Serena in the Fed Cup I think tells you enough to kind of say that she was going to be more than a, a decent challenge for uh, mm. for Coco.
1: Sure yeah no uh, it seems that Sevastova this year is it's just when she does win she wins you know big names against big names but um yeah she just um, you know she's one of those players that you sort of never quite um assured by i suppose sebastava she always looks very worried on the court uh but <laughs> <laughs> perhaps again you know i think um some of the kind of tennis pundits were sort of saying you know coco golf if there had been a, a, a crowd you know mo- mostly american crowd like that that energy might have propelled her over the finish line and you know maybe she she did suffer as a, as a result of that um, but you know you have to like you said she needs to develop a repertoire of different experiences on the court at all levels you know with and without fans so uh you know it's all part of the learning curve um another player who had a three-set tussle um Naomi Osaka in the evening session uh you know she she came through this one unlike Coco Goff but uh yeah she was playing against Masaki Doi so fellow fellow Japanese player um she had a bit of a upset in the second set dropped the second set um I think she was down and she fought to come back and then just dropped her serve right at the end to lose it so um had to come and you know do it in three in the end but um I guess you know it was interesting just to see how this hamstring injury of hers you know how serious it might be because obviously she pulled out the final of the Western Southern Open so uh it'll be interesting to monitor if she's sort of feeling any you know impact due to that but she got the win and she, she's got unveiled a new, uh, range of masks as well for her post-match press conferences. She's got, um, a mask, I think for, for the name of. Of victims of police brutality. So black victims of police brutality in America. So yesterday, her mask uh, had the name Breonna Taylor on. And obviously, there's a lot of names she could uh, have on those masks, sadly. Uh, But she's going to hopefully be wearing, you know, as many of the different masks as as she can if she progresses through the tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, it's a really powerful statement. And I think it's a really I think it's a really good statement. And, you know, I think, you know, we were talking, you know, in our previous podcasts about the fact that she wanted to kind of start the conversation. And I think this is kind of a, almost kind of a clever way to kind of continue the conversation because you have no doubt that, you know, when Osaka steps on the court, there's going to be, uh, you know, TV cameras on her. And, you know, she's using the face mask as almost kind of, a you know, to, to give a silent message out. And I think it's a, it's a really powerful statement. And, you know, the further she goes in the tournament, the more powerful that, you know, that statement's going to become yeah. if she's going to be going out with, you know, different, you know, different names on, on different masks. So, um, you know, I think that's a very, um, timely and a very kind of, um, powerful message, particularly, you know, particularly at the moment. So, um, yeah, we'll see how Osaka does because I do wonder if there is a question mark now on her. Um, on the kind of the injury, on the injury side of things. So we'll see, we'll see how that develops. But, um, yeah, let's just kind of go on to kind of day two because this is kind of going on at the moment. Um, I'm, Kim, I'm actually sat down watching, um, Andy Murray versus, uh, Nishioka of Japan and, and Murray's just taken the, uh, the third set, but he is, he is still two sets to one down. Um, so let's kind of, let's kind of start there because, you know, I've kind of was watching this from the beginning and, um, you know, the intensity Murray brought into court wasn't really the the intensity I was expecting. And, you know, Nishioka has, has paid, well, first two sets paid very well. And uh, the, the amount of passing shots actually he, um, was producing, Murray just seemed to lack a, like, almost kind of like the, the extra quickness, the, um, or the split step when he was kind of approaching the net that kind of gave Nishioka that time. And, um, yeah, I was just a bit surprised by the almost kind of sluggishness, I think, of Murray. Certainly, over the the first um the first two sets,
1: yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, I mean, we we shouldn't ever have you know underestimated Nishioka, to be honest, because he is a he is a very in, you know intense player. He's um he makes the most of his you know of his small frame, and he you know he gave Dan Evans a run for his money, didn't he? A tough battle earlier on. Was it this year when they played? Um, or last year, but that was, you know, we we know what to expect from Ishioga. He's he's a very, you know, formidable opponent. He's been playing well. Um, and I don't think Andy would have underestimated him. I don't know what Andy whether he's just struggling with something, you know, is it something physical? Obviously that that can't be far from your mind if he seems off. Um, but you know, they're in the fourth set now. Can he come, can, can he, you know, can he stage a Cam <laughs> well, Lori come back? I don't know. I mean, well, if anyone can do it, I think Andy's, you know, it's, it, it's possible, but it will take then a lot out of him, you know, for his second round match if oh, he does manage yeah. to get through. So, yeah.
0: I don't yeah. think, I think the, this match is just kind of cementing. <laughs> yeah, I think this match is kind of cementing. If there are any kind of foolhardy Murray fans thinking, you know, this could be a Cinderella story to, you know, on, you know, through to the second week or even further, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of challenges to get there. And, you know, Nishioka has proved a very kind of formidable challenge. He's very, he is very mobile around the court and he does definitely make the most of almost kind of a, that's sort of smaller, nimble, nimble frame. So, um, yeah, we've also got, um, We've got Dan Evans up in a little bit, but before that, we've also got Joe Conta versus Heather Watson, which is going on at the moment. I think Conta won that first set on a tie break. So again, I'm hoping that just kind of goes to, I'm just hoping Kim that goes to the form book because I think well, Conta. I mean, I predicted Conta, I predicted Conta for the for the titles.
1: Indeed, and Joe has just won the first set on a tie break. But really, Heather Watson will be kicking herself because she's had about five or six set points um one yeah she had two on joe's serve uh in the i think well she was six five yeah six five up the watson was two set points didn't take them and then she had about she was six three up in that tie break joe came back and uh grabbed the set and now she's a break up so looking good for conter um now that she's grabbed that first set and uh yeah, I mean, are you, we're British fans, Joel. Obviously, we want both of them to do well, but in this scenario, I'm going for Joe. I, you know, she has the best chance of going further in the competition. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, love you, Heather Watson, but today, just, just let Joe win. Uh, I know that sounds a bit, maybe that sounds bad, but I'm sure most people would be understanding the logic behind that
0: one. Hey. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I I want I've I've predicted boldly. Quad is going to win the tournament. I think she's looked that good um, from what I've seen in in Cincinnati. So, um, yeah, I I'm hoping that she can uh, kind of bed herself into the tournament over the, you know her earlier rounds before she kind of gets into kind of the you know the business end of the tournament. And another player, Kim, we were talking about just before we started recording was Yannick Sinner, who we were earmarking for a potential upset against uh, Karen. K- Kachinov, the 11th seed, because he was two sets up, 6-3, 7-6. But I don't know what has happened because Kachinov has gone and won the third set, 6-2. He's five love up and looking probably bageling Sinner in the fourth set as well. So I don't know if Sinner is struggling with an injury or he's just kind of self-combusted. But um, it looks like Kachinov is in in the driving seat there going going into the fifth set.
1: Yeah, that's that's one I want to tune into for the last set. But there's so much <laughs> going on, isn't there? Got Brits on court, you know, uh, another match that looks like it's going to go to a fifth is Mackenzie McDonald against Casper Rudd. So they're, well, Rudd's, uh, break breakup in the fourth set. So it looks likely that it will go into go into a fifth. And uh, yeah, I suppose that one, to be honest with you, did have five sets possibly written all over that from the start. Um, oh. Dennis... What is it
0: about, what is it about Mackenzie McDonald and playing <laughs> five sets at Grand Sams? I just swear he's like that. He's, he's like the man for the, he's the man for the occasion. Yeah.
1: He loves the attention. Yeah. I mean, I, I like a bit of Mackenzie McDonald. Um, Marin Cilic is a set down Dennis Kudler. So gosh, two very tall players, uh, on court there. Uh, Rublev is, well, probably going to go two sets up against Shardy. Um, and Joel, actually on the women's side, a player that we haven't seen or heard of much from uh, in the last few years, Svetlana Peronkova. She's back and she's won a match. Um <laughs> it's amazing. She beat Samson over in straight sets. Imagine if Peronkova went and like won the tournament. You know, she did she did get to that Wimbledon uh semi final one year, so you never well, know. we did
0: that. <laughs> we did a podcast. I mean, our listeners who've been with us a long time will remember we did a podcast ages ago about, I think, WTA fan favourites and Peronkova. I think Peronkova was on that list, wasn't, wasn't she? So she's certainly she's certainly been around. But yeah, she's got like absolutely no form. So it's, you know, coming into the tournament, so it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see these matches because, like, I genuinely feel some of these players have literally just come out of the wilderness to just play the u.s open and just kind of see what happens and uh you know who knows who knows what's who knows what's going to happen it feels completely open and unknown uh more so than usual about what is uh, gonna happen um in flushing meadows over over the next two weeks and i think the first kind of day one and day two um has kind of shown has shown that uh, myself and kim as i said we will be doing a round by round catch up um, on UK time, anyway, um, over the coming weeks. And um, our next catch up will be on Thursday. So, If you uh, enjoy listening to us and you want to kind of stay up to date on the US Open, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Overcast, wherever you listen to us, make sure you click that subscribe button. And if you are enjoying the coverage on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment. Yeah.
1: And you can also um follow us on social media. So Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We are on all three at Pod. And if you'd like to also get in touch via email, you can do so PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Uh, do let us know your thoughts, any questions you've got. Um We'd love to hear from you all. So do please get in touch with us.
0: Yes. And we'll be back on Thursday to catch up on all the events from round two. So I hope you can join us then. But uh, for the meantime, yeah, I'm going to get back to this Murray match and I hope, I hope we're going to a fifth set and I hope he, is it going to be able to kind of pull out the, the two sets, two sets down victory, which I don't think has happened, Kim, since Radek Stepan yet in the French open 2016. So I'm, um, I'm hoping we're going to get that sort of outcome, but yeah, um, there's still a lot. still a lot to be decided. I think at the moment.
1: Well, Joel, as we you know recording UK time, uh, not in the middle of the night, <laughs> a lot of uh, our you know our kind of status updates on matches will be horrendously out of date by the time uh, perhaps many <laughs> many of our listeners actually listen. So we do apologise for that, but uh, we do have to go to work in the morning. So we uh, unfortunately can't can't stay up all night and record it. I don't know. 3am so uh, we'll do our best won't we
0: <laughs> yes uh, so yeah we'll be back on thursday and we'll see you then